Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. This is Romans chapter 12. This is part five uh, in the series. And um, we, we're going to attempt to finish the rest of the chapter. And um, I, I was hesitating on whether I was going to read all this to you because we have literally walked through uh, the entire chapter. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a, a good gist of where uh, we've been. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I want to stop right there, and we've went all the way through Romans 12, but we've learned this about Paul, is Paul is the author of Romans. He's writing to a collection of churches throughout Rome, and he says this, and this is, he's just a master at communicating, but he puts bookends on his statements. So he starts the chapter like this, therefore, in view of God's mercy. In our first part, we talked about this, and we likened this to putting on like mercy glasses, lenses, that everything that you look at, you look through God's mercy. God's mercy is how he saved us, how he found us, his grace, miracles, how he's healed us, how he walks with us, how he's with us, how he speaks to us, all that God's done for us. And Paul's, Paul's not an idiot. He set that up for a reason. Now he said, in view of God's mercy, now we've walked through everything that we've walked through. In part one, we, t- we talked through the lens of mercy. Part two, we talked about display discrepancy, that what you display, or what you, c- what you only display, what you contain. Part three, we talked about our faith buckets, our gifts. Part four, we gave some measurements or some guidelines of what love looks like. And now part five, we're going to call this no margin. No margin. And um, I'm going to read to you from verse 16 through verse 21. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, Paul's starting to meddle here because many of us like to find how you can get out of whatever he's saying. At least I do. And he starts using words like anyone and everyone, which is really all-inclusive, which is very convicting. But anyways, he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. There's a lot of people that really like that scripture. Do do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we got to get to work today. Y'all ready? Y'all love the Word of God? 
In our church, we believe in responding to the word. We believe in talking back about the word. We believe in being a partner or a participator in what God's doing, not just a spectator. And so I grew up in church. I watched a lot of services. I'm just thinking we should all just be involved from here on out. And in this scripture, it's really interesting. Paul begins to unpack this passage, and he says some things that honestly that we read and will unpack that are a little bit convicting. And, and it can be a little heavy when you start to think about, in totality of Romans chapter 12, what he's trying to say. Now, I've been married for a little bit over 10 years, and I've learned some things uh, about marriage. I have learned uh, about these things called blanket statements. Okay, blanket statements include words like never, always. Anybody ever heard these before? So, so this, is, this is what we've kind of hit in our marriage at a couple of different times, is if Jamie happens to use a blanket statement, she says, you never, for some reason, I have this amazing ability to remember all the way back to 2002, where I did, and I no longer hear anything that she's trying to say, because I think of the one time where I didn't, and so I'm like, I gotcha, you're wrong, you're wrong. I can't even hear the point because the blanket statement got me. And it wasn't right. It was wrong because that one time, anybody, anybody been there? So I found that our marriage goes a lot better when we don't use blanket statements because we don't actually mean blanket statements. We say always, we say never to try to drive home a point, but it's not really what we mean. It's, you, you don't ever come home on time. I mean, there was one time I did came home, come home on time. It's like, so you can't say I never did because there's a, so then we eliminate the conversation that's needed to actually get to the point that we need to get to. Now I'm going somewhere because Paul, he uses blanket statements, but he means them. This is, this is the difficult part is he's not saying it like we say it, just in conversation, like, oh, you know, you never, you always, everyone, anyway. He's not just, he's not flippantly saying it. He's saying it with some real finality, with some real conviction. He, he's saying it like he really means it, which is really difficult for us because we like to exclude people from some of these commands. Like we talked about last week, love must be sincere. It's like, okay, that's great. Love is sincere for um, everyone that I love. But love's not so sincere for the people that I, that I, that I don't love. You, you know what I'm talking about. So I, I got a box up here. I want to illustrate something for you. And um, I, I actually need someone to get in this box. Jude, do you want to get in the box? Hey, Jude. Jude, do you want to get in the box? You want to come up here? No, he doesn't want to help me. All right. So, um, Simchat, come on up here for a second. Just jump up here real quick. And um, seeing if he was paying attention, the front row, start him early. Uh, Simchak, just, just get in that box. Can you get in there? Now you look like you're like seven foot tall, and I look like I'm three foot tall. Awesome. <laughs> hey, Wiley, I'm actually like 6'5", okay? Um, so this, this, Chris is in, in his box, and, and, and here, here's the thing about a box is it, this is how many of us live, and we take the commands of Jesus, or we take the scriptures, and we apply them to our lives in the box. So when we talk about loving our enemies, we, yeah, we get that. And we agree. We believe in it. As, as long as it's the enemies that we choose. Right? Like the enemies in our box. We, we, we love people sincerely as long as they're in our box. See, this, this is the thing. is You are a collection of your experiences. 
what you've been through, good and bad, your perspectives, the family you were raised in, kind of the, the jobs you've worked at, the people you've interacted with. You're a collection of all those things, but there is this thing called margin. Anybody understand what margin is? Margin, if you're reading a book, there's margins on each side. It's the space outside of the lines. Most of us operate in our lives inside the box or inside the lines. And, 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 and we leave these margins where we can kind of get away from what God's saying. So when it says something like, love your enemies, it's like, yeah, we'll love our enemies that are in our box. But what Paul is trying to do, do, trying to do is knock down the walls of the box. He is trying to eliminate all margin. That's why we call this no margin. He is trying to eliminate all margin so that we cannot just love, well, we love all the Christians in our church. In church 1132, that's not the body of Christ. We've been talking about this. The body of Christ is not church 1132. The body of Christ is the church. It's anybody that meets together, that professes Jesus as Savior. That is the church of Jesus Christ, which means that we've got to love them like we read last week, like we love ourselves. So what Paul is attempting to do is break us out of the box of comfort and the box that we have put ourselves in of who we can love and who we don't love. So Chris, hop out of there a second. I'm going to use this again in a second. And this is this, but you, you can jump out. That's good. Just very good. You, you might have heard the phrase marginalized people. And it's kind of a, a buzzword right now in our culture as we're talking about this and people that have been marginalized. And it means this, to be marginal is to be marginalized. Taken broadly, the term marginalization evokes a dynamic between two social analytic categories, the center or mainstream and an area called the margins. The center is normally associated with dominance, privilege, and power. The margins with relative powerlessness. To be marginalized is to be placed in the margins and thus excluded from the privilege and power found at the center. Now, now, this is the thing, this is how we do it at Christian. We think marginalized just applies to our culture and what we're going through right now, but that's not the, that's not the truth. Marginalized can be anything. You have to look at your own life and see what you've marginalized because you are a collection of your life experiences and you have built, of, uh, you've built your own perspective. You've built your own box, but the word of God is not confined to our box. The word of God is not confined to our margins. And what Paul is saying is I want to break down the walls of the box. I would like there to be no margins, no limits, no boundaries to your love. And who you love and how you love them. We, we closed last week with John 13, 34 and 35. It says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I don't know if that's convicting to you. It's convicting to me. It was convicting last week, and it's still convicting this week. It, it, it's convicting because the measure of if we're a disciple was not if we know the Bible. It, it was not if we go to church. It was just pure and simply, if you love, and this is what really got me, because I love God. I love the presence of God. But it didn't say if we love his presence. 
It didn't even say if we love him. It only said if we love one another. Now that's okay for us as long as we're in the box, right? Because we can look across here and we love pretty much everybody in the room. And, and, and so we, we're like, yeah, we can love one another. But it's not talking about just the people that are in your box. It's not talking about people that just that we have in our collection of experiences. It's talking about everyone. Paul's using blanket statements saying anyone and everyone. And so we're going to march through these verses and we're going to see how Paul knocks the walls off the boxes of our lives and how he encourages us to have no margins. The first thing I want to tell you, uh, and, and this is a key in living this way, in overcoming evil with good, is that you have to go low. You, you, you have to go low. And Paul sets this up beautifully. In verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, Paul knows this. Before we get into all these other things that he's going to talk about, he has to make sure that he starts kicking down the walls of our box because we have this internal ranking system with each other. We don't even recognize it, but we have this internal rank. When someone pulls up in a new car, we have an internal ranking system. When you pull up to a neighbor's house, you have an internal ranking system. When you see someone, they're attractive, they're not attractive, you have an internal ranking system. And we rank people, and we honestly, at times, we think that we're better than other people. And what Paul said is, before I ask you to do all of these things, you've got to get one thing down really clear, is you've got to go low, which means you've got to humble yourself. You, you, you have to humble. This is what's interesting about humbling, humility, is that you actually have to humble yourself. Like, like you have to actually choose to humble yourself. You know what I found out about life? If you don't humble yourself, life will humble you. Isn't that the truth? It'll kind of just teach you how to be humble or how not to think so highly of yourself. It says to live in harmony with one another. You know what harmony means? Harmony means the combination of simultaneously sounded musical notes to produce chords and chord progressions having a pleasing effect. It means that you have your gifts and I have my gifts. You have your personality. I have my personality. But Paul is pleading for everyone, not just the people in the church, the people outside the box. He says, I want you to work in harmony. I want you to get along. And the only way that you're able to be getting along is if you go low. Because if you don't go low, you will see people that you feel like, you are better than or more well off than, and you will not work in harmony with them. So you have to first get this mindset, the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus, that did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, made himself a servant to come to earth, to be the sacrifice for you and for me. That same humility is the humility that we have to live our lives with. Can you imagine if we just begin to apply just that principle that when we looked at other people, we thought that they're worthy of honor. They're worthy of respect. They're worthy to be heard. And, 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 and again, what we have to be careful is, is that we don't apply this and we think, ah, oh, that's really good to the people in our box. It, it has to apply everywhere. It has to apply to everyone. Pastor Steve says, pride makes us artificial. Humility 
makes us real. Pride, me trying to puff myself up, it makes me artificial. It is humility that really gets down to the core of who I am. It's humility that brings me low. And I'm telling you what Paul is saying is you have to go low. We must rid ourselves of internal ranking and we have to see all people as within our box of influence. We can no longer exclude people from the box. We have to see them as a part of the box of influence. He is communicating to us that we must go low and see everyone, everyone, blanket statement, see everyone as worthy of honor. Now, Paul is smart. He's really smart. He says that as a bookend. We talked about bookends. He says this as a bookend, and now he begins to fill in between. The second thing that he says and that we pull from this is that we've got to go low, but we have to do right. Do right. Verse 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. There's that blanket statement again. Anyone. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of of everyone. Now, I have a question for you. How in the world do you do what is right in the eyes of everyone? I mean, especially today. Have you been on Facebook lately? How do you do what is right? I guess not. Um, don't. <laughs> Run. How do you do what is right in the eyes of everyone? Did you know that doing what is right does not mean abandoning what is right? Doing what is right, what Paul is talking about, is doing your part to do what is right. It is being responsible with your turn. It is Paul as if he's saying, if it's your turn, don't abandon your responsibility to take your turn. Do whatever you can do to be right. Paul intensifies the no margin message by using words like, anyone and everyone. He is leaving us with no excuses and no margin. Let me say it this way. You will never go wrong by doing what's right. I don't know if you've been like me and you've struggled with this, but this is difficult. It is difficult. It's difficult to be wronged and then to have to apologize or have to make things right because it should be their job. It should be their responsibility. They did it. They were in the wrong. That's not what this is saying. It doesn't, it doesn't say who's in the right and who's in the wrong. It says you just got to do your part for peace. You got to do your part to make things right. Be careful in this verse actually means to think out your response beforehand. This injury says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That actually means to think it out. I'm going to think it out beforehand. See, this is, this is the thing. Is if, if you and I got in a small group together and we talked about really what we, really what we believed, our convictions, our morals, uh, the things that we stood by, we would agree on a lot of things. We would talk about love being sincere and we'd say, yes, that's right. We would talk about loving our enemies. And it would be difficult, but we'd agree that we should do that. But it's way easier to have an inward conviction than it is to have an outward action. So what Paul is saying is, I want you to take some thought. I want you to take some consideration to think about how this is actually going to play out. Because you have an inward conviction, but when you get in, when you leave here, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home, when you get in that situation, when you get in that environment, can your outward action line up with your inward conviction. We've got to do right. We have to choose 
to do right. The third thing we see is that we've got to live peace. Not be at peace or pursue peace. We've actually got to live peace. We've got to be, Bible says this, Jesus actually said it. He said that he wants us to be a peacemaker. He said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Not, not people that pursue peace, people that make peace. Here's the thing is like, I like it when people make peace with me. I just don't like to make peace myself. I don't like to be the one. I don't know if I'm the only person. I don't like to be the one that has to make the peace. You make the peace and I'll receive it. You know, like, like let's do it that way. Let's just, let's just, let, that's a good, good agreement. That's just a good configuration. In verse 18, it says, if it is possible, and I love this because this is the first chance that Paul gives us for an excuse. He says, if it is possible. I, he should have never said that. I'm going to hold on to that forever. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, and then he kind of like brings it back around because he says live at peace with everyone. Everyone. That's hard. But he did say if it is possible. So the fact that he said if it is possible means that it might not be possible all of the time. Right? So, so this is our catch. We got Paul here. Like this, this is our moment. Like we've got an excuse. But he does say as far as it depends on you. Which means it's all right if they don't respond, but I have to respond correctly. It's all right if they don't forgive me, but I have to forgive. How unfair is that? I have to forgive them even if they don't forgive me? I mean, that is not, there was an occasion years ago uh, that I encountered and, and uh, I, I was kind of at odds with uh, someone or someone was at odds with me, I guess. Uh, and, and so we were talking things through, or maybe I should say we were not talking, but we knew we needed to talk. And I was waiting for him and he was waiting for me. And I wasn't going to go talk to him because I didn't do anything wrong. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, if he comes and talks to me, then we're going to be good. Like, I've already decided in my peace-loving Christian heart that we will be good as long as he makes the first step. So I waited and waited, and God continued to convict me and convict me. And finally, I had to have a conversation, and I had to go low, and I had to be a peacemaker, and I had to have a conversation. It was not fun. It was not encouraging. And honestly, I don't even think it ended that great. Because you think, like, I'm going to take the step, and then everything's going to be magical, and they're going to be like, yeah, I was wrong too. That didn't happen. It was more like, thank you for that. I'm glad you saw it. It's like, wait, you know, you want to bring the other side. Like, but remember, two sides to every coin. Like, I mean, you want to kind of, like, help them remember. Like, you remember what you posted? Like, you literally tagged me on Facebook. I mean, you, you want to help them? But I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what it's actually saying is do your best to live at peace with everyone. And if they don't respond, then they don't respond. But you have to do your part. I was talking with some guys afterwards after I was explaining some guys I was mentoring about how we walked through this conversation and how I dealt with it finally uh, the right way. It took me way longer than it should have, but how I finally got there and, and, and I dealt with it in the right way. And, and, and I told them, I said, the last thing that I want someone to remember from me is not unkindness, 
is not bitterness or anger. The thing I want to leave a conversation with is love, grace, and forgiveness. Even if they're still mad at me, I want them to know that I love them and that I forgive them. And I think that's what Paul is saying is this is how you have to leave relationships. If they refuse to pick it up, that's on them. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And all of us take a a little inventory of all the everyone's in our life and we think, I think we're okay. But that only includes the everyone that we've included within the box of our own ideas. But it could be that everyone could be someone that doesn't agree with you. That everyone, see, see, we try to get, it's hard enough getting along with family, right? So we're like, live at peace with everyone. We got to do better. I got to call my second cousin. I got to be better. And it's like, there's more than that. There's more than your political persuasion. Live at peace with everyone. That's, got quiet in here. Live at peace with, that means people that are not your denomination. Live at peace. Well, I'm at, I think I'm at peace with all the people that agree like me. That's not that hard. You've got to live at, people, at peace with people that disagree with you. You've got to live at peace with people. Just catch this one. You've got to live at peace with people that don't change. Because honestly, if I can be transparent, when, for years that I've read this scripture, the reason that we did good was so that they would change. And so I would, do, I, would, I would operate in kindness, but I was waiting, right, for them to respond correctly. And then when they didn't respond correctly, I'm kind of like, wow, I don't, I don't like this principle too much. But God is not concerned when he's dealing with us. He's not concerned with their response. He's concerned with our heart. And he's waiting for us to get in line and get in position. And then he will take care of the rest. Be careful to never give up when it's in your power to act. That's what this scripture is saying. Don't give up. Don't stop when it's your turn. You take your turn. And if they never take their turn, it's on them. And it's between them and God. But you take your turn. Which leads us to number four. And it's leave room. Now this one's interesting. Leave room. Verse 19, it says, do not take revenge. Now, we don't like that, but we like what follows. My dear friends, Paul kind of like just bait and switch a little bit. He's like, do not take revenge. We're like, ah. He's like, my dear friends. He's like, oh, thank you, Paul. That made me feel better. But you still said, don't take revenge. He says, but leave room for God's wrath. Christians love this. I mean, they just like, this is like, leave room for God's wrath. I like that. Like, I've heard people literally say this like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to take any revenge, but you better watch out. (laughs) God's wrath. He says it's mine to avenge. I will repay. Now, there's a problem with that theology because it does say that, but I want you just to play that out. If, If you and I have a problem and I don't take revenge on you, and then the next week you get a bad doctor's report, then I'm like, he got you, I, I guess. Because now I'm attributing your struggle to God's wrath. On, but that gets into trouble with God's character. Because now I'm, now I'm seeing bad things happen and I'm trying to attribute those bad things to bad things they've done. But I'm going to tell you this. God does not think like we think. 
His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And this was at first discouraging for me because I want to know that whatever someone has wronged me with, God's going to get them back for it. But I don't think that's the case. I think what it's saying is leave room. Would you, would you be okay if it just said leave room, period? Because I think that's what Paul is really trying to communicate. He's not saying leave room so that God will do to them what they did to you because that's against his character. I think it's saying leave room. And the old, he quotes the Old Testament passage for God's wrath that says it is mine to avenge, which means that it's up to God. If he blesses, he blesses. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But it's up to God. So you get out of the equation. You get out of the problem. You get out of the situation. Leave room for God. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Paul now removes the last margin or the last box that we had. Because at first, in the beginning of Romans 12, it's like talking about loving one another. We're like, cool, that's great. But then it takes it further and it talks about like, like, like the deeper things that we've got to do. But now he goes on a whole other level and he says, now you've got to love your enemies. That's, an, that's another level. You've got to love, not, I, let me just help you. This is not the people you think are your enemies. This is not like the, the neighbor down the street that, you know, it, it, I'm talking like enemies. I'm talking people that make your life miserable, people that make your life hard. This is not people that we would think fit in this box because if you really have an enemy, you think they don't fit in here because we reserve a margin for those people because, oh, they don't even love God. They are this or they are that. And we slide them out of our box of obedience into the margin of our life. And we say, this does not apply to them. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is no margin. There is no box. Is that all who are anyone and everyone apply. And then he says this. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Your enemy. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now that's difficult, but we love this. But Christians love these verses, I'm telling you. It says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we're like, that's right. That's what they deserve. Fire from heaven. Get them now, God. Like, <clears throat> this is what we want to think is happening. And I read about this a lot, and I studied this, and there's a lot of different theological persuasions about this specific scripture on what that is. And, and even Jamie and I were talking this morning. It's really interesting that he says this because he says, I mean, he will, he, it will be like heaping burning coals on their head. And I was reading one commentary, and, and he's, he's a theologian, and he begins to talk about this, and he said, in that day, that coal was currency. It was, it was currency. And so it would be very... Uh, it would be very um, normal for a neighbor to borrow coal from another neighbor. And so, especially like in times where it was very cold or adverse conditions or weather, sometimes a neighbor would run out of coal. They would go down the street to the neighbor that had coal. They would knock on the door, ask for them, and they would not give them coal that was unlit because it, they were poor they would give them coal from their own fire that was already lit. Now, I don't know if you've ever picked up burning coals or walked on them. That's another condition that we got to pray. But they would give them burning coals. You can't carry them in your hand. They're burning. So they would put them in a container. That container was carried much like their baskets on their head. 
So as they would go to their neighbor, they would ask for coal, and they would give them. So it's actually, this theologian believes, and I would be in agreement with this, that it was a blessing. Because it doesn't make sense to say, bless your enemies, bless those who persecute you. All of this about blessing them, and then be like, and then you'll rain down burning coals on their head. I mean, that's how I would write it. Uh, and that would be amazing. It's like, I do good, I do good, I do good, and God's going to burn their scalps. I mean, it's like, that would be amazing. But that doesn't sound like the rest of the chapter. It would be, that would be the most random right turn in the chapter to be like, bless, love, give them everything, do your part, be faithful, and then call from heaven. But this explanation actually makes a lot of sense. Because I have, a hard, I have a hard time being a good neighbor just in general. Because I'm a private person. And so I like going to my house and shutting the door and just like being nice. So, like, I mean, if you came and knocked on my door, I might just hide in my bedroom. You would think I wasn't home, but I'm just in there like, uh-uh. I'm not. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a condition. You can pray for me. Um, so that's for y'all, and I love you. If an enemy comes to my door... There's no way I'm answering the door, let alone giving him my dinner. This is what Paul's saying. He says, this is how far I want you to take it. If your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy's thirsty, give him something to grieve. And in doing this, you're going to bless them. In doing this, you're going to put burning coals on their head. And it's not going to be to hurt them. It's going to be to help them. Now, I want you to see this because the last scripture, it says this, and we'll wind down. It says, in verse 21, it says, if I can find it here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you got to see this, because now this is the bookend, right? He starts out by saying, go low, make sure you humble yourself, and then walk through all of that. And then he says at the end, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What he's saying is, and the, the, the way this is translated is actually drowned evil in good. You know what I think a lot of us like to do? We like to fight evil. We like to debate evil. We like to confront evil. But what he says is just drown it. Drown it with good. Drown, this is how they're going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. So this is how you turn from evil to good is you drown that evil with good. You don't try to just eradicate evil. This does not mean that we're weak. This does not mean that we don't stand for truth. This just means that we focus on what we stand for. We focus on what we believe in and we throw so much love and we throw so much good that the world begins to take notice. Matthew chapter 5 this is Jesus speaking. Verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's Jesus. We've heard about Paul and everything he's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, Love your enemies. Like, like love them? Yeah, love them. And love must be sincere. So don't just do it in action and don't just do it in word, but like, like you got to do it from your heart. How do you do that? How do you do that? The only way that you can do it is going all the way back to verse one that says, therefore, in view of God's, see, how do I forgive people that hurt me? Because they don't deserve it. 
in view of God's mercy, he forgave me. How do I love someone that's unlovable in view of God? See, this is the way that God set it up. This is the way that Paul describes it. It's beautiful. He is a genius because he set it up right. He said, you got to put these mercy glasses on. you got to see through the lens of mercy. And if every situation that you look at, you're looking at through mercy, this, and we learned this in the first week, seems reasonable. Reasonable? Yeah, it seems reasonable. He says, this is your reasonable service. How is everything that God's asking me to do and everything that I've gone through and everyone that's talked against me and everyone that's said bad things about me, how is that reasonable? It's not reasonable in and of itself. It's only reasonable through the lens of mercy because God so loved the world that he gave Jesus and that was mercy he found us when we were lost he saved us when we weren't even looking he loved us before we loved him he chose us before we chose him that my friends is mercy and in view of that mercy I can forgive I can forgive I can release people that I've been holding. See, this is, the, this is the difficult thing about unforgiveness is unforgiveness doesn't hurt them. Unforgiveness hurts us. We think that, oh, they're not worthy of my forgiveness. You're not hurting them. They might not even know. You're hurting you. One of my favorite quotes about forgiveness, unforgiveness, it says this, unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and expecting them to die. That's heavy, isn't it? We think, well, they don't deserve it. See, this, is what, this is what Paul, he's trying to say, is in view of God's mercy, forgiving them seems reasonable. Oh, pastor, you don't know what they did. You don't know how they hurt me. I don't. And if you told me, I would probably agree with you. But the Bible says, in view of God's mercy, and you know what you have to do if it's hard to forgive? You've got to stare at God's mercy you got to stare at his grace. you got to remember every time he saved your life. you got to remember every time that his grace reached to you. you got to remember every time that you said you'd never serve him, that you'd walked away from him. you got to remember every time that you were angry at him. you got to remember, and how he forgave you, and how he loved you anyways. One of my favorite scriptures, it says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. You know what I thought growing up? It was God's judgment that led us to repentance. It was God's punishment that would make me obey. It was God's harsh demeanor that would make me stay pure. It's His kindness. It's the fact that even when I mess up, He loves me. It's the fact that even when I deviate from His absolute perfect truth, He forgives me. That mercy, that grace, is what allows me to forgive. How do we overcome evil with good? We start by loving our enemies, by not taking revenge. Can you imagine what God could do with people that just did Romans 12? Nothing else. We just said, we're going to do Romans 12. Forget the rest of the Bible. We are doing Romans 12. We would change the world. We would change the world because we got too many people not making peace and too many people trying to take revenge and too many people holding things. What if, what if you were trying to make peace with me and I was trying to make peace with you? We'd have peace. If we all did what we could do, 
we would start to turn this thing and we could overcome evil with good. I was praying for you this week and I was praying for three specific things. The first thing is that we would be able to forgive those who've hurt us. Second thing, that we'd be able to release our enemies. And the third thing was that we would be able to remove our margins. And I started praying about this and I felt like God started convicting me which is really unfair. I was trying to be right, trying to pray, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit just began to convict me to forgive, to release, and to remove. I gotta, I gotta think outside of this. I've gotta think outside of my box. I've gotta think outside. There's no margins when it comes to Jesus' love. Thank God there wasn't, because I was a marginal. I, I, I was just out there. But he saw fit to save the margins. He saw fit to extend his grace to all people. And whosoever will. And anyone's. And everyone's. God was the originator of blanket statements. The only difference is God cannot lie. And so when he says anyone, he means anyone. When he says everyone, he means everyone. That, that's who God is. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.